Uh, today we are going to continue uh, in our series on uh, freedom from religion. And last week we started this series. And uh, this is an important topic, the idea of being free from religion. And I'm speaking of negative religion. Because this was a, a huge part of Jesus' ministry. If you read through the Gospels, one thing that you see very clearly is that Jesus, he pushed against the religious system, and, um, and if you will, he, as we talked about last week, he purposely poked the bear of the religious system. That he purposely, and in many of the scenarios throughout the Gospel, we see that Jesus, you know, was in essence trying to break as many religious rules as possible in order to make the religious leaders mad so that we would have a billboard to see what happens when religion goes bad. And when religion goes bad, it always ends up hurting people. When the very mission of Jesus is to, to love people, and, and our very purpose is to love people. And religion puts huge barriers towards loving people. And as Jesus said to the Pharisees, it puts up walls towards people entering into the kingdom. And because this was important to Jesus, it needs to be important to us to make sure that we are constantly monitoring our lives for religious tendencies that can get in the way of loving people. And so that was our topic last week. And just as a reminder, when I use the word religion in this series, I'm speaking of, of negative religion in the sense of, of this was, was the definition we gave last week, that as any system of belief, behavior, and belonging that people use to achieve rather than receive salvation. It's a system that you say, if I just do these things, then I will be right with God. If I just do all these things, you know, then maybe God will be happy with me. And that can show up in terms of uh, a religious right belief, an approved system of theology, that if I just have all my theology right, and if I just have my lists of doctrine just in the right order, then I will be right with God. And then maybe God will be happy with me. Or right behavior, certain accepted code of conduct that I must follow. And if I do all these things and don't do those things, then maybe I'll be right with God. And then maybe God will be pleased with me. Or the right belonging. As long as I'm part of the right group and not part of the wrong group, then God's going to be happy with me. Uh, this is religion. Religion will always say that you have to have the right list, and you have to have the right conduct, and you have to have the right, be a part of the right group, and if you're not, you can't be right with God. And as soon as we begin to say that it's because of my doctrinal list, or it's because of my conduct, or it's because I belong to the right group, all of a sudden we have something to boast about. The reason I'm right with God is because of my doctrine. The reason I'm right with God is because I do a lot of good things. The reason I'm right with God is because I belong to the right group. When we know that the gospel is about grace, and it's a gift where we actually have nothing to boast about, <laughs> and religion will always give you something to boast about. As we see in Ephesians 2, it says, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Religion says there are things you can take credit for. In religion, you become the hero of your salvation. I'm saved because of my doctrine. I'm saved because I belong to the right group. I'm saved because, you know, I have the right conduct, where the gospel makes Jesus to be the hero. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so that none of us can boast about it. 
And religion will always give us something to boast about. It'll always, in the end, put, put me against you because after all, I have it together and you don't. It causes division, it hurts people, and it keeps people out of the kingdom of God. As Robert Capon said, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is the proclamation of the end of religion, not of a new religion or even the best of all religions. If the cross is a sign of anything, it's the sign that God has gone out of the religion business. And this was clearly one of the purposes of Jesus. Jesus came to, to end religion. He came to end his own religion, if you will, of, of the system that was in place where people connected with God with temples and sacrifices and rules and lists, and he, he put an end to all that. That's one of his clear messages, that he broke down those dividing walls, and now we enter by grace as a free gift. But the reality is, there is something very attractive about negative religion. And very quickly, we can drift into it. And, uh, and even just to compare, again, the, the, the teaching of Jesus with religion, we can use maybe a little story about a couple. And uh, we can just say this couple's name is Tammy and Jack, and let's say they've been uh, married for a number of years, and, and maybe they're sensing that the romance has kind of left their marriage. And, and Tammy especially is very frustrated and she's just wrapped up with the kids and work all the time and, and doesn't feel there's any romance and passion and desire in their marriage. It's just kind of getting boring. So Tammy confronts Jack and says, you know, there's no romance in our, in our relationship. Uh, you know, we're just kind of bored. We need, to, we need to add some romance and some connection, some heart back into our relationship. And, and Jack agrees. And he says, you know, we, we, we do need to do this. Well, the next day comes around and Jack's got a plan. As soon as Tammy comes home from work, Jack's at the door, he's dressed up in a, a nice outfit, and he's got a, a dozen roses, four red and four white, and he says to Tammy, we're going out to your favorite restaurant tonight. In fact, about five minutes, the babysitter's going to be here, and everything's going to be great. It's all organized, it's all planned. Why don't you go upstairs and get on your favorite outfit, your favorite dress, and we're going we're gonna to go, go out to your favorite restaurant. So Tammy gets ready, the babysitter shows up. And, and they go to their very favorite restaurant, and, and there the table's all pre prepared. There's a bottle of wine on the table, and they sit down, and they order their very favorite meals, and about halfway through the meal, uh, Jack pulls out this little handwritten note with just words from his emotions and his thoughts and his heart, and, and it brings Tammy to, to tears, and she's like, this is what we've been missing, and they both agree. And they have a wonderful night. Well, the next night comes around, and, and Tammy comes home from work, and there Jack is at the door again with the exact same outfit on and another dozen roses, four red, four white, and he says, we're going out to dinner to your favorite restaurant. Uh, the babysitter's going to be here in five minutes. Why don't you go upstairs, get on the same outfit you had on yesterday? And so they go to the very same restaurant, and, and Tammy's thinking, you know, this is awfully like yesterday, but, you know, this is, this is still cool. It's still kind of new and fresh, and, but halfway through the dinner... Jack pulls out a handwritten note, and he reads the exact same thing as the day before. And everything looked exactly the same. And then the next night comes around, Tammy comes home from work, Jack's at the door with the same outfit, same six white, six red roses, tells Tammy to get on the same outfit, and they go to the same restaurant, everything's the same. He pulls out the same note and uh, reads the exact same thing, and this happens day after day after day after day. And and after months gone by, 
I mean, someone could go up to Tammy and say, you know, how's your marriage doing? And she might just break out in tears and say, you know, I don't know what's happened, but it's just, it's just, there's no love in it. There's no relationship. It's just a system. It's just kind of rote. We're just doing the same thing all the time. And so you might ask Jack and might, Jack might say, you know, I found the system. I'm going to write a book. You know, it's a perfect marriage. All you need to do is show up at the door and have the babysitter and, and six roses and, or 12 roses. And I mean, that's what can happen in a relationship with God. We can get to a place where it just gets into a system. And if you ask Tammy, she would say there's no heart. <laughs> and often we can end up in a place with our relationship with God where it's all about a system of doctrines, a system of conduct, a system of belonging to the right people and not the wrong people, and there's no more heart and relationship. And if you look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus clearly taught about the importance of the heart and relationship above those other things. I mean, the very fact that God forgives us shows us that he's far more interested in our relationship than he is in rules and lists and laws. God wants our heart. He wants freedom and freshness, not a system of religion. But again, religion is attractive. In fact, uh, this is a brilliant question that a Christian asked at one point. Uh, she asked, why have I become more and more judgmental? And she's talking about the longer she lived as a Christian. She says, you know, why is it I've become more and more judgmental? And this is a good question because a lot of Christians find this. And I found this in my own journey of walking with God that, that when I, I was so free when I first met Jesus, but after years I became more judgmental. I became more focused on my list of doctrines and, and more focused on my conduct and more focused on I got to make sure I'm part of the right group and not the wrong group. And it made me very judgmental. And a lot of people find themselves on this, this journey of, of religion, of leaving freedom into religion. In fact, we know this is a huge issue in the church because as you know, one study showed, uh, that only 14% of Christians actually show and reveal and live Christ-like attitudes and Christ-like actions. Only 14%. That the rest of Christians have... Uh, religious, negative religious pharisaical tendencies. In fact, 51% of Christians exhibit very negative religious tendencies, that their attitudes and actions actually more look like the Pharisees than, it, than they do Jesus. And so, again, negative religion can very subtly begin to creep into our lives where we begin to lose our freedom, and we begin to kind of look judgmental and demand that people have the, the same list as I do, and they belong to the same group as I do, and they have the same actions as I do, because after all, I have it all together, and the Holy Spirit only speaks through me after all. I mean, that's where religion can lead. We can slowly, without even being aware of it, drift into religion. And this happened, by the way, to a lot of churches in the New Testament. It's one of the themes, not only in the gospel, but as you read through the New Testament, Paul is, is trying to keep Christians from drifting into religion. In fact, the churches of Galatia, uh, a number of churches in Galatia had this issue, and this is what Paul says. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. And, and this is what religion is. Religion disguises itself as the good news, but it's not good news at all because it's filled with rules and lists and demands and, 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 and things that aren't grace. 
He goes on to say, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you have seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. But religion will always say, the reason God does miracles through me or you is because, after all, I have the right list, I belong to the right group, and I have the right conduct. But no, it's, it is about grace. This is what Paul is saying here. He goes on in the book and says, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? And he's talking about rules and lists and laws. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons, or years, I fear for you. Perhaps all the hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. And in Galatians 5, 1, sort of the pinnacle of the book, he says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law and slavery to negative religion. Uh, I mean, why does Paul even have to warn this? It's weird, like, stay free. You think that we'd want to stay free. But the reality is freedom is actually very difficult. And often when we are walking in freedom, religion keeps calling us, and this is why so often we can drift from freedom into religion. Now, why is religion so attractive? And I just want to spend the rest of our time just talking about some reasons why it can be so attractive, why we tend to drift towards religion. First of all, religion is actually often easier than freedom. Uh, religion is often easier than freedom. Uh, I mean, imagine if someone came up to you and said, you know, if you want to have a perfect marriage, here are three things you must do. And if you just do these three things, your marriage is going to be perfect. That would be attractive for us. If you could just do three simple things, maybe you could do what Jack did. Just follow the system, then your marriage would be perfect. But we know it doesn't make a marriage perfect. Marriage is difficult, it's complicated, you've got to work through junk. I mean, the, the freedom of relationships is difficult, but if there were just three rules, that would be attractive. And the reality of free relationship with God and living out in freedom can be scary. We just want, just give me some rules. Just give me three things I need to, to be blessed by God. And I realized this very much when I was in Kenya, and there's a Calvin, our awesome friend, arranging, uh, arranging, arranging some rides for us and some tuk-tuks. And we went there with a group from our church to Kenya. And uh, one day, uh, we went to downtown Mombasa, and uh, we were with one of Calvin and Nicole's friends who was a Muslim. And uh, so I got a lot of time to talk with this guy, and, and we were talking about Jesus and Christianity and Islam, and, and in the end, it kind of boiled down to this for him. He says, Islam is easy. If I want to be blessed by God, all I need to do is go to the temple or just pray three times a day. If I just pray three times a day, God will bless me. It's easy. You see, we're attracted to that. 
Just give me the five things I need to do for God, and then, and then I'll be right with Him, and then I'll be blessed. I don't want to mess with this free relationship where I've got to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and work through different things with God. I mean, that sounds complicated. Just give me, give, just give me some rules. And religion loves to give rules. Here's your list of beliefs. Here's the right codes of conduct. Here's the group you should belong to. Here are the people you shouldn't hang out with. If you just follow these, you'll be right with God, and God will bless you. That can be attractive. But Paul tells us Christ has set us free, and don't we dare get caught up again into that religious system, that we are to live out of freedom, but the reality is that can be, that can be difficult. It's one of the reasons religion is attractive. Another reason is the religion gives us a feeling of security and safety. Religion gives us a, a, a feeling of security and safety, and, and most of us really like feeling very secure and safe. Uh, most people don't like change, and uh, religion is very good at not changing. I mean, the only time we like change usually is when it's our own idea. But if it's someone else's idea, we don't like change at all. And, and, and religion tends to never change because here's your list of doctrines, here's your list of conduct, here's the ris- list of people you should hang out with and not hang out, and that never changes. And so that gives us a feeling of security and safety. If I, if I just do this and this and this and not that, I'm okay with God, and God will bless me, and I'll be right with God if I follow this system. Uh, But the reality is, uh, things do change. There are reality of things we do have questions. The reality of things that we do wrestle with things, and and God uh, does new things at times. I mean, in Isaiah 43, God says, for I'm about to do something new. In Psalm 33.3, it says, sing a new song of praise. I mean, there's always room for newness in relationship. We see that God works differently with different cultures and different times between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even even now, things change. The gospel doesn't change, but the way we live that out in this world changes, and religion does not like that. That is why you can walk into some churches, and it's like you walked back 75 years singing songs from 75 years ago, and everybody's dressed like they did 75 years ago because religious systems don't like change. But when they don't change, it gives us feeling I'm safe and I'm secure, I have my system, I got my plans, and that just keeps me safe. But the reality is, God likes to shake things up at times. I mean, Tammy might have felt safe and secure for the first week doing the same thing, and this is kind of romantic, but it gets tiring after a while. And sometimes God says, hey, let's sing a new song. Or, we gotta, we, this, we're gonna, gonna, this Holy Spirit's going to move maybe in a little different way. Relationship brings freedom, and it allows for new things. Religion does not change. And, and we've seen lots of mistakes throughout church history because of the inflexibility of religion. Uh, like when Galileo began to discover that the earth was not the center of the universe, or the, the, the idea that they always thought that the, the sun traveled around the earth, and he, you know, heretically suggested at the time that the sun was stationary and the earth moved, and because the church and religion does not change often, they had this belief, well, the Bible says that the sun moves across the sky, and so that is truth, and that can never change, and he was charged as a heretic and he spent the rest of his life under house arrest because of the inflexibility of the religious system. But there are times when we make new discoveries in science. There are times when we make new manuscript discoveries. There are times when the Holy Spirit speaks to us in a different way, and all of a sudden we look at a scripture in a new light, and we go, wow, this is a new way. We've never seen it this way. And that happens 
has happened all throughout church history. And then God can still do the same thing today. Religion is very inflexible. Now, it gives us the sense of safety and security, but uh, we are to be living in, in, in freedom. A lot more to say about that, but we've got to keep going. Uh, number three, religion can give us a feeling of superiority. And, and we all subtly like this. At least our ego loves this. And we see at times in the Gospels where the disciples were, were going for this, this, I am better than you and I'm superior, like in Luke 22. It says the disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And we do that in churches and denominations where we're the greatest and we got the best lists and we got the best code of conduct and we're the right group and, you know, we're the greatest and we do that as Christians and we, we like feeling superior. And religion gives us a system that allows us to actually feel superior over others. In the book of Mark, it says, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked for and James and John asked to be superior... I want to be on your right and left, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. They were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Jesus flipped the whole way around. I mean, we like power and superiority, and, and Jesus says, nope, I'm going to flip it upside down. Religion keeps people in this area where I have power over you. I want to have control over you. I want to, and religion gives a system of doing that, especially when it's coupled with politics. And if there's one lesson learned throughout church history is that when the church couples with politics, it almost always goes very, very badly because religion gives people a sense of superiority because I got the best lists and I got the best code of conduct, but then when you wrap that with politics, it can make even things more so. It ends up being like this. As soon as this religious system, I have the best list, I got the best code of conduct, I belong to the right group, you end up in Luke chapter 18, where it says, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And remember that 51% that of Christians out there exhibit attitudes and actions like the Pharisee because religion sneaks into us. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then Jesus says this crazy thing. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified or right before God. See, this is what religion does. And I'm glad I'm not like those other people. I'm glad I have the best doctrinal list. I'm glad that I have the right code of conduct. I'm glad I belong to the right glue. I'm glad I'm not like those other people. Again, religion will always pit you against other people, and it will give you an inability to love deeply. And Jesus turns this completely upside down and says, it's actually this sinner who is at the bottom who is actually right with God. Again, Jesus shows us clearly 
that he's battling against religion. Religion in his day and religion in our day and religion in us. That we don't rely on systems, but we focus on relationship. Uh, Number four, religion gives us an easy out. Love is messy, rules are simple. Another reason we're attracted to religion, this is the last reason here, is because religious rules can be quite simple. And uh, freedom and love is, is actually very messy. Because freedom and love is so messy, we just want to go to a system. I mean, if you picture Jack, you know, just give me the five things I need to do to have a great marriage. I mean, I just want a system because if I have to be creative and I have to kind of work through the mess of a relationship and I got to kind of listen to my wife and, you know, that's just complicated. That's messy. Just give me a list. <laughs> Love and freedom and relationships are messy. Rules are simple. This is one of the reasons why people throughout the scripture and even today are attracted to religion. And we see this in the Old Testament. Isaiah, God says, your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. God does not like religion. We see that right there. They have become a burden to me, he says. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of the widows. You see what's going on here is the same thing that happens to us. And, and I sense this in me sometimes. You know, caring for the poor and the, the down and out and my neighbor who doesn't have it all together and, you know, the hungry people in this world, that is really messy and it's complicated. It takes a lot of emotional energy trying to love people who are hard to love and widows and orphans. That's complicated. I just want to focus on my, on my little moon festival. I just want to focus on reading my three chapters a day. I just want to focus on going to church every Sunday and doing these little religious things because that's easy. I can handle that. Just give me three little steps to be right with God and so that I can be blessed. And I, You know, that stuff's too complicated to really love people and to care for the poor and the hurting. You know, that is just too messy. I'm not going there. That's what happened to them and God was not happy. And that happens to us when religion begins to creep in. We want rules because it's easy. We want a system because it's easy. Loving people can be hard. Or Amos 5, I hate your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Again, God doesn't like religion. And it's not saying those things are bad because we, we need systems to, to carry us. I mean, communion and church and these things that we have but they're not the end. They're not the end goal God is. But they're wrapped up in their system here, and it says, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Again, these folks are like, you know, having, trying to stand for justice in the brokenness of this world and righteous living to really love people. That's, that's messy. Just, I want my, my, my offerings, and, and I want my religious festivals. That's easy. And we can do that. I mean, it's easy to show up at church on a Sunday, a lot easier than helping your neighbor who is broken and falling apart and trying to love them. I mean, that's messy. That's the, I just want to do my system, <laughs> my three chapters a day, and, you know, I'm going to pray and, you know, think about God and just have, the, that is, that's why it's so attractive. Uh, when Jesus, in the end, over and over and over again, says that his main command is to love people. The whole law is summed up in this one command, Paul says, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's hard. That's messy. And so we want to quickly run to some other things because, you know, I'm so busy doing these little things, I don't have time to think about that. And that's exactly what happened to the Pharisees. They began to major in the minors so they didn't have to pay attention to the, the major issues in the world. He says, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herd gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, blind guides. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Again, you can so focus on these little laws you know, I got to have the right doctrines and I got to have the right code of conduct and, you know, I got to make sure I belong to the right group, that your head is so buried in these little laws that you forget to look up and see what God has actually called us to. Love people <laughs> and, to, and to be free and to, and, and to do that. I mean, this is why religion can get very attractive because if I just tithe and filter out my mint and do these little things, that keeps me busy enough so I don't have to think about those things. But God actually wants us to think about those things. Those are the important things. You know, Tony uh, Campolo, uh, years and years ago, and I just always remember this because it stuck out with me, he, he painted this point so very well. And uh, he was talking at a big group. Uh, he was never invited back after he said this because this was way more controversial back then than it is today. But this is what he said. He says, I have three things I'd like to say to you. First, while you were sleeping last night, 30,000 kids died of starvation or diseases related to malnutrition. Secondly, most of you don't give a shit. What's worse is that you're more upset with the fact that I said shit than the fact that 30,000 kids died last night. It's true. That's where Christianity often ends sometimes. I mean, maybe even some of you are like, oh, I can't believe Pastor Jesse said that. I mean, because I can handle battling against that, but 30,000 kids, oh, that's too messy, that's too complicated, that's going to take too much of my energy and my time. You know, I just, but I can focus on, you know, swear words or yoga pants or something, you know, that's easy for me to handle. And this is where it gets off track. I mean, we focus on the minor issues because we can handle them. It's a system. It's nice and neat. And, but God wants us over here, bringing justice to the brokenness of the world. Uh, you know, the, the freedom of Jesus, letting people know about the freedom of Jesus and then the fact that the Father loves us and cares for us and some of those big issues. But we can get focused on all the little minor little issues. And in the end, I mean, religion will simply cause you to live in fear rather than faith. And one of the ways that I, I see religion, if it begins to boil up in my life or in other people's lives, I just look for fear. Because religion will make you very afraid. It'll make you afraid that you might be deceived and that you might have the wrong doctrinal list and then you get really worried that other people around you might get deceived and you end up having more faith in Satan's ability to deceive than you have faith in the ability of the Holy Spirit to keep you and to teach you and to lead you and to lead you into all truth. And I see that in folks, they, get, they have actually more faith in, in the enemy's ability to, to deceive than they do in the Holy Spirit's ability to trust, but the reality is greater is he that is in us than is in the world. doesn't mean we don't have to worry about deception, but if it's a fear and you're constantly afraid of it, perhaps religion has gotten a hold of you. It'll cause people to fear and they're always afraid of what's going on in the world and, you know, these people that are all against us and everything's going bad and... And they fail to realize that God is at work in this world. 
Because religion will always, always say, God is only working through your little group, or God is only working through you. And after all, I have right doctrine, and I have the right conduct, and I have the right belief, but I don't trust anybody else out there, as if the Holy Spirit only works through you. I mean, that's the height of pride, to think that God only works through you or your little group. I mean, the reality is God is at work all over the place. Now, not every place out there leads to God, but God is at work on every place. And, 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 and religion will, will make you just afraid. And the reality is we are not to walk in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. God has invited us into freedom. Paul says Christ has come to set you free. Watch out that you don't get caught up again to slavery of the law. I mean, the invitation is always this gift. It's a gift. And let me just finish with Isaiah 55, a reminder of the free gift of grace and love. And he's calling people out of religion. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Now, Father, we thank you that you have set us free. And Father, thank you that you are continuing to lead us into freedom. And God, that you want us to be in a heart relationship with you. God, we're sorry that we so often make it about rules and systems. And how sometimes those rules and systems create huge barriers for people entering into the kingdom. God, we want to listen to your spirit. We want to walk in freedom. We don't want to be like a jack who relies on a system. God, we want to listen to you and be free in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.